Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are inching ever closer to the end. It's just 10 match days remain in the 2020-2021 Bundesliga season. With me this week, as usual, to wrap up all the action is Nick Wildhagen. Hello again, Nick. Hi there, yeah, and well, I mean, we're sort of building this up as we're heading towards a climax here, aren't we? But uh, as we were approaching halftime on Saturday, I was sort of like looking at the scores of all matches. I was sort of like, oh, well, that, that we're sort of not heading for a climax here, are we? It's sort of like I was looking up the stats for the least goals in one match day, which is 11, by the way. But then it, uh, you know, it uh, it was all foyer fry as... Uh, the Bayern army started marching links by drei fear towards the Borussia Dortmund goal in the end. Yeah, yeah, it did turn out to be uh, quite an action-packed match day once you got to Der Klassiker. We, of course, have all the match day 24 action coming up this week, but, you know, quite a lot about Der Klassiker. The results, what it means for the title race, and whether it's now all but certain that a decades-old record is set to fall. Well, here comes the best of Match Day 24. That's what we do in part one of Talking Foosball. We talk about the best of the match day just gone. If you know your math, you know that that means, uh, you know, 10 match days to go. We're up to Match Day 24. That's what we experienced this weekend. And definitely for the, uh, the, the, the DFL promotions team and, and for many members of the media around the world, that meant the weekend of Der Klassiker which, of course, means uh, Bayern versus Dortmund. I think here on this podcast, we've, you know, heaped a lot of skepticism on whether this fixture is, is you know, worth all the hype. But, hey, this edition of Bayern versus Dortmund, it had some classic-like moments, I really thought. Uh, that was mostly down to the fact that Erling brought Holland, uh, a guy who seems to really specialize in variations on the <laughs> impudent smash and grab. He scored two goals inside of 10 minutes, gave Dortmund a shock 2-0 lead in this game, which wasn't enough in the end as Bayern, you know, first got level through a Robert Lewandowski double in the first half and then eventually in the dying minutes scored another two goals to seal that win. I enjoyed myself very much. Uh, I assume you probably did too, Nick. One thing that I think really does stick out, not just in this game, but throughout the season is just how much practice Bayern have at making up deficits. They do not care one bit if they go down 1-0 or 2-0. They believe in themselves that they're going to have the power to come back and win. And they did it. It's actually quite surprising to think about that. Mainz, Bielefeld and Dortmund uh, all went ahead by two goals. 2-0 against Bayern. And, and the only team that actually eventually took a point of them was Bielefeld. Who would have thought? But yeah, uh, what's, what's really um, special about this Bayern is that they play with a lot of conviction. Once they sort of had shaken off that those shocking few moments uh, from from the beginning of the match, they played with purpose. They got Borussia Dortmund deeper and deeper down to their own half. Borussia Dortmund found fewer and fewer answers. They created fewer and fewer counterattacks. And towards the end of this first half, it was just basically one-way traffic. So the first half ending up in a 2-2 draw was more than a fair result. Uh, you know, as Borussia Dortmund actually had taken, taken their first two chances of the match, basically. 
But for me, what what really stood out from the first half was not the four goals in particular that was were scored, but the fact that Borussia Dortmund actually had a great chance on a counter attack to make it three 0 and that is when Monier goes down the right flank. He just needs to square to Holland, and he absolutely scuffs that pass. And you know, the first thought that struck me at that point, I think we're twenty five minutes down into the matches. Oh, they might regret this. <laughs> they might live to regret this because if you're three 0 up, it's even going to be tricky for Bayern. But you know, two 0 up, you're you're not living uh, with you know with that safety of of knowing that you are going to get this match done and dusted and get it home, especially against a side like Bayern. Yeah, what did you make of? I mean, I, I know that Borussia Dortmund were a little bit depleted in this game. They were slightly fewer options either for the, the, the starting lineup or off the bench. However, however you view, uh, Rafael Guerrero, Jaden Sancho and, and, uh, Gio Reyna, but they definitely seem to come into this game not looking to play on the front foot. Um, I know that obviously <laughs> 99 out of 100 teams play against Bayern Munich and that's the way that they play, but not everyone decides to do that. In some ways, I feel maybe the 2-0 lead so early presented a temptation to Dortmund to close up shop a little early, which I don't know, maybe, maybe was there? Yeah, I mean, we probably would have hailed this as a genius move if that 3-0 goal had gone in and Bayern would have, at that point, you know, played a little bit more subdued and the match would have ended in a 3-1 win for Borussia Dortmund. Because in that case, it would have worked. But, um, you know, as I said, they, that was pretty much the last great counter-attack that Borussia Dortmund had in the first half. Second half, you know, Bayern just didn't stop grinding out those chances. And in the end, they, they were lucky to get those two late goals because uh, we might get into the shoulder-to-shoulder between Amri Shan and Leon Goreska a little bit later. But, you know, it was a deserved win for Bayern because except for a little bit of, you know, Borussia Dortmund trying to... to get up on the front foot again at the beginning of the second half. It was pretty much the same old, same old from, from the last 25 minutes of the first half, really. Yeah, yeah. We might as well start talking about that uh, shoulder-to-shoulder challenge from Leroy Sané on uh, Emre John. Obviously, as <laughs> as everyone knows, hindsight is twenty twenty and all that. And we have already, you know, sort of presented the the counter argument that maybe Dortmund attempting to to do not much more than defend and counter and, and not even counter all that dangerously for most of this game did not pay off in the end but it it was until the 88th minute before Bayern got their go ahead goal and it did follow fairly closely on the heels of a challenge that in instant replay looked like one where some referees on some days, perhaps against some teams, as uh, Marco Royce would have it, uh, would have called a foul. I mean, basically, uh, let me present Marco Royce's um, argument here. I mean, it was it was a it was a shoulder to shoulder challenge. There might have been a slight shove of the arm from Leroy Zane, but it did not seem to be a flagrant you know push or anything like that. But what Marco Royce said after the game is that if that's a Bayern player getting knocked off the ball like that. They get that call, period. <laughs> Might he be right? You know what? I do think that most referees try to be fair and even. And I don't, I don't think that the referee in this match made any big mistakes. And in my book, this is just a shoulder-to-shoulder, really. And Ember Sean said after the match, well, it's the sort of thing where you can give a free kick, but you don't have to. 
Well, that's your answer. The guy who was directly involved in the shoulder-to-shoulder says himself, I wasn't fouled to such an extent that you necessarily have to give a free kick. And there's your answer, really. Yeah, and I agree. I don't think that it was a clear foul. I certainly think that the referee could have given it. But I think even more than favoring home teams, especially in the COVID era, or even favoring big teams like Bayern, I think there's a tendency among referees, and it's very natural, to favor the team who is trying to make the game, the team who is playing positively. Like if you if you're playing positively and the other team is playing fairly reactively, the team that's playing positively is going to be seen by spectators, by referees, by anybody as the protagonist in the game. And they are probably going to get the benefit of the doubt a little bit more than the team who's basically just trying to spoil things. And you know, if you sit back and you, you know, defend, 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 you know, after a while, someone's going to start seeing you as a team who doesn't need protection maybe i don't know yeah but you know i, I think again uh referees work a lot on bias and the sort of things that can make an impact in in the stadium the sort of atmosphere that can have an impact on how decisions go and they try to get rid of these biases as best they can you know what if you're michael royce yes you're a little bit bitter over the defeat because it came at such a late point. But uh, at the end of the day, if it, if it would have been the other way around and you would have gotten the goal and Thomas Miller would have protested, you would have probably said, well, you know, it's just a shoulder to shoulder, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The roles could very easily have been reversed. Okay. I, I sort of pumped this up in, in the intro to the show, but I'm starting to feel like this is uh, a major story happening that Robert Lewandowski, he was uh, clearly the sort of main actor on the day for Bayern. He scored three of their four goals. That took him to his 29th, 30th, and 31st goals on the season. If you're following along at home, folks, 31 is, is, is more than 24. He is on an unholy clip. He's got 10 games to score nine goals, which would equal Gerd Müller's 40-goal season in 1972. I would be now pretty surprised if he didn't break that record. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a machine. I mean, <laughs> that man, he's so versatile. He scores from all sorts of positions. I mean, he does the tap-ins, he does the headers, he does the shots from distance, he does the penalties. I mean, there's not a single sort of situation that you could imagine happen in terms of creating go danger in front of a goal that he cannot be involved in. It's unbelievable. You know, I mean, it's it's sort of like we, we need to start talking about Robert Lewandowski in the same breath with Leo Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo these days, I feel. Because the way he's been playing over the last couple of years is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, he's probably the biggest difference maker in the Bundesliga right now. And of Oh, for sure. For sure. And I, I'm, you know, as much as I really enjoy Bundesliga history and, and learning about Bundesliga history and, and sort of watching old games and sort of, you know, having a certain reverence for Bundesliga history, I think it's time that this record got broken. I think it's time that a player uh, of, of somebody of, of the caliber of Lewandowski. And I think that, you know, when we look back with a very sort of wide view, a wide angle lens at the last few decades in the Bundesliga. It's time for us to recognize that this guy is one of the very best that's ever played in this league. And, and that's, you know, he deserves to have a record like this. 
Absolutely. I mean, Gat Miller has pretty much all the other records. I mean, Gat Miller is the record score with 360-some goals. Robert Lewandowski is in second place, but almost 100 goals behind him. Gat Miller has the most hat-tricks in the Bundesliga with 31, no, 32. And uh, Robert Lewandowski is in second with 12. <laughs> so, um, I mean, if he gets one of Miller's records, good on him. He deserves it, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and and just to add a little spice to this that you know might might even might even prick prick up your ears, but I think that you know famously uh, Rudy Fuller when he got into a dispute with uh, Gunter Netzer back in I guess two thousand three or something like that when Fuller was the the coach of the the national team, he talked about. 70s football as something he called Standfußball. Talked about the game being completely different as a game where guys didn't run a lot, where they stood around a lot. It's a different game now. It's a much more dynamic, much more athletic game. It's much harder to score goals, I think. Yeah, and to add to Fellow's point, yeah. players these days run on average five to six kilometers more than the guys in yeah. the 70s. So absolutely yeah. valid point. I, I want the Standfußball guys to GTFO from the record book, to be frank. Ah, well, you know what? I think it's it's a testament to the to how football has developed. That it's got more athletic and all that. But um, I I do have a certain I, I do have a, a certain fondness for that era of, of football. But you know, it, can, it, it doesn't have to be all modern and shiny, does it? Does it? <laughs> does it? I know, I know, and and you know, it's it's, it's all about fitness influencers, and you know, okay. Robert Lewandowski, you're you're a fine fine player, and uh, I, I hope you I hope you break this record. Another takeaway from this game, which is sort of on the other side of things, which maybe we should talk about from from Bayern's perspective, Jerome Boateng, when he was uh, clearing one of those counterattacks from Borussia Dortmund, seemed to land quite awkwardly at one point, had to be taken off. He looks like he's sort of messed up his knee in some way, some sort of uh, strain or or you know. <laughs> Capsulterung. I don't really know what that is in a medical term. Capsulater. Yeah, 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 it would appear to me he's going to be out for for several weeks. That I don't know. That doesn't seem like a great thing for Bayern as they head into this critical phase of of the the season. I feel like things have been going pretty well for them in terms of you know health. Well, at the back, um, they had some problems earlier, but I felt like they were getting into a rhythm. Yeah, they they were, and uh, but to be fair, I mean, Pavard is back. Zula has been playing on right back for him, so um, yeah, as fixes go, um, it's not the scariest of fixes to do to pack back line just moving Nicolas Zula basically into the center of the back four where he thrived the most, anyways, and getting Pavard back into the team. So and there, there's Hernandez on the bench as well, so um, Bayern should be fine. I reckon so. I just want to stir the pot, if possible, for this team who look to be odds-on favorites for the title. You know, why shouldn't they be? They're they're really really good. Can we talk a little bit about where this result leaves Dortmund? They're they're four points out of the Champions League places. They're in sixth place at the moment. They have Champions League to contend with this year. Still, they've got a second leg at home to Sevilla. They're up three two after the first leg. What should they be focusing on for the remainder of the season? Because they did advance in the cup at midweek they might well be advancing in the champions league they've got a hill to climb in, in the league to get back into the champions league where should they be looking to the future well that hill to climb might not be as big as you think when you look at the gap and when you look at the rest of the schedule because they sort of have it in their own hands as well because they still have frankfurt they still have Wolfsburg 
you know, those are obviously the games they want to win, need to win. So not all is lost in regards of having, you know, getting that Champions League through Bundesliga play. And that's pretty much where the focus should lie at, at this point. Having said that, they've got Holstein Kiel in the cup. Should be simple enough. And, you know, once you're in the final and in Berlin, you focus on that final. Champions League football, yeah, do your best. But um, at the end of the day, you're never going to qualify for the Champions League through winning the Champions League. It's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, when you see the teams progressing to the next round um, alongside Borussia Dortmund, if they do progress, I, which I think is fairly, fairly likely, uh, you know, they are going to get a tough draw, whichever side they're going to draw. So uh, might very well be the last round for them in this, this season's edition of, of the Champions League. All right, you heard it here first. Dortmund will not win the Champions League. Controversial analysis, as always. <laughs> exactly. Nick Wildhagen going way out on a limb. Okay, so let's let's move on from from the old the the classic. Let's talk about the next best team in the league, RB Leipzig. You know, going into their classic, Bayern actually knew that they needed all three points to hold on to the top spot, uh, and that Leipzig had gotten a three nil win in Freiburg. So I don't think that was a terribly shocking result, just looking at these two teams' uh, places in the table and their their relative recent form. But this was a easy win for Leipzig, which I thought was a little surprising. Yeah, I think Freiburg defended well enough up until that first point when their goalkeeper played an absolute hospital pass to Santa Maria, which uh, then in turn allowed Nukinku to get the scoring going shortly before halftime for Leipzig. I think at that point, if there were teams who would have gone into the dressing room with nil-nil, it, it probably would have been a different. It would have been a different game in the second half. But uh, once Freiburg needed to risk a little bit more, Leipzig were ruthless and uh, exploited the room the the rooms they were given. And uh, Alexander Zerlot with another fine performance, another goal, another assist, and uh, you know the great tidbit about this match really from a Scandinavian point of view is that with Poulsen you've got a Dane who scored with no Zerlot you've got a Norwegian who got a goal and an assist and the guy he queued up was actually Swede Emil Forsberg so all of Scandinavia represented in the scoring of the day alright alright I guess you know those those sort of semi you know do they count the you know your Iceland's your Finland's do they are they really part of the, that club or are they just sort of on the outside looking in they're, they're northern northern European not not really Scandinavian I mean Scandinavian is a type of language group and, it's true and you know that includes Swedish Danish and Norwegian so uh, even though there are some roots to Icelandic oh as as my wife who is who studies uh, old Germanic languages will tell tell you that uh, Icelandic is the closest modern cousin to Old Norse which is the language that uh, eventually produced Danish Swedish and uh, Norwegian it is true yeah I mean it's basically what the people in Iceland are speaking is is basically uh, close no, a close relative to the language that was spoken here basically a thousand years yeah, ago. They're a little behind the times there. Yeah, I, I just have one great tidbit about Iceland. I, I need to, you know, need to get oh. uh, rid of uh, as we're oh. talking about this this great and delightful yeah, country. In Iceland, they actually have um, they don't like foreign words, so they have sort of a committee that puts together Icelandic words for foreign language words that come into the language. Which I find is absolutely great because, you know, most European languages, they have sort of that impetus of English words coming into to them, 
you know, mainstream. <laughs> mainstream, for instance, is, is a word that is used pretty much in all European languages now. Not so in Iceland. They they make up their own word, Icelandic sounding words, which I absolutely love. What's the Icelandic word for mainstream, I wonder? Let us know if you're <laughs> from Iceland. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. <laughs> Do you have any any further insights into uh, Alexander Zerlot and his uh, his sort of recent bloom into uh, momentary greatness? Any any? I would love if I could say that there was a delivery of Icelandic whale meat arriving to Leipzig that would uh, that has turned things around for Zerlot. But no, I, I don't. I mean, I haven't I haven't seen I haven't come across anything. Such as an interview in, in Verdensgang or Dark Blooded or any of the other Norwegian dailies. But, um, you know, I think what we said a couple of episodes ago that, um, things have sort of been, he's been hitting the outside of the post for, for many matches. And, you know, once you get going, you've got the margins on your side. Suddenly you start producing results. Yep. Yep. It's clear he never gave up. He was always running and uh, working hard for the team, even when he wasn't scoring. So it's good to see a little payoff for him. Let's, let's move uh, away from the title race. Uh, just to sort of, uh, reset a little bit. It is just a two point gap there. And, uh, of course, Bayern and Leipzig, uh, are still to face each other. I think three match days down the line. So. Lots to look forward to, uh, but there is lots of intrigue below the, the title race this weekend, of course, especially down in the relegation places where really the only team that helped themselves in any significant way was Hertha BSA. They were the only team among the bottom seven to notch a win this weekend, which which figures. I mean, they're the bottom seven. They, they don't win that much. And truthfully, Hertha got off to a terrible start against uh, Augsburg at home at the Olympiastadion. They conceded less than two minutes in to, you know, this <laughs> one-in-a-million cross-body volley from Laszlo Benesch and, and then eventually made their fans wait until deep in the second half to even the score and eventually take the lead. Hertha were definitely well worth their points, however. They, uh, you know, they got all three by just continuing to work. They, they basically controlled the game, created lots of chances, and eventually, uh, were able to get two goals out of them, whereas Augsburg were, were pretty quiet on the day. Nick, huge result for Hertha, of course, but they are nowhere near out of the woods. I think they're two points clear from the relegation playoff spot and, and Bielefeld still have the game in hand against your guys this this midweek. How are you feeling about Hertha moving forward? It's definitely going to be difficult because the first matchup is against Borussia Dortmund and they sort of have that. <laughs> they they sort of uh, are down injured and they, they are looking to come back and when some of these sides come back against smaller teams, they come back with a vengeance. And uh, Bayer Leverkusen are, are the next opponents in the match after that. And, uh, you know, Bayer Leverkusen definitely got a good result this weekend with a derby win against Borussia Mönchengladbach, which we're going to talk about in, in the second part of the show. So given that Leverkusen has sort of been on a topsy-turvy form and not really been winning an awful lot themselves either, it's, you know, it stands to be seen if maybe Hertha can notch a point here or to maybe even all three against the side that, you know, has, hasn't been always great necessarily over the last few weeks um and and that is basically uh that is basically what has come to because Hertha going into the next 10 matches i mean if you look at their running it's it's going to be difficult 
I mean, they are they are going to face some very big teams. Yeah, although the fact that they had that incredibly difficult run just as Dardai took over, you know, playing four out of the top five uh, sides in the league in, in pretty rapid succession, it just stands to reason that things are going to get a little bit better. You know, I'm I'm not feeling so confident as to say that they're going to beat either Dortmund or Leverkusen, but I wouldn't be shocked if they did. And I think really that the games where things are going to start to to really tell is is you know first of all in the derby against Union, which is also on match day twenty seven, like like the uh, the big Bayern uh, Leipzig game, but that game then following it up with Gladbach, Mainz, Freiburg, Schalke. By that time especially teams like Schalke and, and Bielefeld, who they have after uh, Schalke, those teams, it's not clear whether they're still in the thick of it or whether they might you know, be starting the, the long goodbye, which I think in some ways uh, Schalke have already done. I feel a ton better about this team's chances of staying up after getting this win. It was really dicey, <laughs> as you might expect after going down after two minutes. But I was particularly, particularly impressed with, um, you know, the work rate staying up uh, in the second half and also certain sort of small signs of team harmony of, of sort of really working for each other. There was at some of the down points in this season, quite a lot of on field infighting about, you know, not, not squaring the ball on, on a breakaway or, you know, players not, not under, not reading a one, two properly. And you were seeing a lot of uh, encouraging signs. I mean, especially when, when that penalty got called for the, the foul on uh, Tuzar, you know, all the, all the, the strikers, all the attackers, you know, Christoph Piontek, John Cordoba and the eventual penalty taker, Dodi Lukubakia, they all wanted that penalty. They worked it out without too much conflict. And then when Lukubakia converted it, it was those three guys who were, you know, embracing and jumping on each other that they knew that like it was actually at this desperate point much more important to score at all than anything else. Yeah. It, it, doesn't matter who scores it the, the thing that matters is that you do score and yeah definitely great spirit and uh, you know having said that what should be worrying for her though and and the reason why they are in this mess is you mentioned that run there against teams like Bielefeld and Mainz and such that is the run where we expected her to get out of their mess in the first half of the season mm-hmm. and that is the run where they actually that's where the wheels came off that's where the wheels came off the wagon yeah because that is where they didn't take any points whatsoever so i mean that run needs to be significantly better next time around yep yep and uh yeah signs signs are pointing to good at least at least the, the team spirit is there and and the form is there even if the results uh, weren't there until this weekend let's talk about a team who really did help themselves and i think we can now take out of the relegation conversation if we hadn't already that's uh, that's hoffenheim they got a really really nice 2-1 win at home to wolfsburg you know wolfsburg it seems are are you know, experiencing a little bit of a dip. You know, they lost to RB Leipzig in the cup at midweek. Now they've, you know, lost again here in, in the league. Can you expect or, or should we expect them to sort of uh, go off the boil now? Well, I mean, I, I mentioned Hertha's run of their, uh, run in there, but um, Wolfsburg, after facing Schalke, Bremen and Köln, in the next three matches, they actually uh, then have a pretty dicey run of matches themselves because then they are against Frankfurt, Bayern, Stuttgart, Dortmund, Union Berlin, Leipzig, and Mainz in the end. 
And, you know, all of those matches between Frankfurt and Leipzig, you could, you know, potentially think that they might drop points in those. So, as, as you know, as, as we talked about Borussia Dortmund's chances for qualifying for the Champions League a little bit earlier, I mean, this is, you know, this is the sort of run-in that you can't stumble over. So, Wolfsburg definitely, definitely um, needs to keep a tight chip uh, at the back like they used to. And dropping t- points against sides like Hoffenheim who are that far down the table is not necessarily the right sign. Yeah, although Hoffenheim have been a real mixed bag this season. I mean, we've seen them put in some pretty um, incredible performances, you know, most famously against Bayern early in the season, beating them handily. And then, you know, getting beaten by Schalke when Schalke were in, in the middle of their horror run. I guess that kind of leads me toward where I wanted to talk about with Hoffenheim in that and that they seem to be capable of a lot more, and we've seen them do a lot more, especially uh, before their rather weird knockout in the Europa League against Molda. They were looking very good there as well. <laughs> we What's can up? win it. Oh, no. Norwegian teams are too good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes sometimes the come down is pretty tough. Uh, but S- Sebastian Hurnes, you know, he was brought in after after their experiment with, you know, Alfred Schroeder as – Sort of a guy who was meant to bring Hoffenheim football, and I'm, I'm using, I'm, I'm doing little little air quotes around uh, my my head as I talk, you know, just for you listeners. Bring back sort of positive attacking football based around developing young players. You know the kind of stuff that we saw under Rangnick, the stuff we saw under Nagelsmann. That's what people want. You know the the board and the fans, such as they are, that's what they want from Hoffenheim. But it's not really back week week on week it's just their business model though i mean what they basically are good at is besides scouting players in sort of far out places and finding them and developing them into princely a place that they can sell them for profit it's developing youngsters and selling them at a profit because you know in some seasons 70 80 percent of their revenue have come from the turnover they've produced on the transfer market so i mean even if they have some really great promising players that are bound to you know uh, be big, big stars. They're not going to keep them. They might. They might. Christoph Baumgartner. I think he could be uh, a real live one. Eventually. Yeah, he just extended his contract at, at the club today, I, mm-hmm. I read. Um, on the other hand side, uh, it says in the press that Florian Grilich, former Werder Bremen player, who's actually done rather well for them, he has a buyer clause <laughs> of 20 million euros. If they can find someone to pay 20 million <laughs> For Grillage, <laughs> they should they should bite their hand off. Eston Villa, how about you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds very much like a pre-COVID uh, buyout clause. <laughs> yeah, to yeah. Me. I mean, I, I I do like Grillage. I think he's a great player. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for, for Hoffenheim, uh, they are the relegation battle. And um, you know, having said that, we mentioned on an earlier podcast that they've had a lot of bad luck with injuries and COVID cases. I think they're the team with the most COVID cases in the entire league. Um, and, you know, that in itself is not conducive to producing a stable run of uh, results in the Bundesliga if you all the time have to juggle around your team. Uh, goes without saying, really. No doubt. All right. Well, let's leave this discussion of uh, Hoff and Wolf uh, behind. Let us, uh, let's talk about a couple of teams who are very much still in the uh, relegation fight. And for that... We're going to turn to Marie Schulte-Bockham, our old friend. She's dialed in from New York, and uh, I caught up with her earlier today. Marie, really, really good to have you back on Talking Foosball. It's been much too long. 
First off, because I don't want to depress you too much right off the bat. But what have you been up to? I, I understand you've got some uh, some videos to share with the world about the Bundesliga. <laughs> Hi, Matt. Yes, I moved to New York City last August in 2020, middle of a pandemic. Um, kind of a yeah, out of the ordinary move to to like relocate to the city. You're, where you're an outside of the box thinker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know what? I mean, I love my life in Munich. I have a good job, good friends. I like the city. I live with a view of the Allianz Arena. Why not uproot all of that and move to the center of the pandemic? <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm I'm now in grad school at Columbia Journalism School. Really liking the program and the guys at the Transfer Exchange show, show um, Kieran and Steve asked me um, pretty much since the since May 2020 when the Bundesliga was the first professional sports league back. They had me on their podcast to talk about the Bundesliga and which Bundesliga team Premier League fans should support and why. And that eventually turned into a few more appearances. And then they asked me to contribute a um, video segment every week. So I've been doing that. That's been keeping me busy. I recorded the fourth episode yesterday. It's called Marie's Bundesliga Minutes. And they range anywhere from four minutes to 19 minutes was my longest episode. Yesterday's episodes was 13 minutes. And I've recorded in my bedroom on the Upper East Side near Central Park with New York traffic in the background and in the winter barren snow-capped woods of Vermont. So I'm I'm looking forward to see where that goes. Excellent. Yeah, I highly, highly recommend this for everybody. You know, you know Marie if you know this show and you know what she adds uh, to the Bundesliga conversation. So definitely check it out. Now, uh, now I do want to depress you because I want to talk about Schalke at length. <laughs> um, and, you know, I guess the place where I really want to start is what's just happened, which is to say you've installed a new coach, Dimitrios Gimotsis, and you've played one game under him. And it wasn't very good. It was a nil-nil draw with another bad team. How are you feeling after the first 90 minutes of of this new era? Yeah, I mean, I think I've learned pretty much since I've been a sports journalist to distance myself from the team. And so, of course, historically, it's a, it's Schalke is a sort of team which no one can really shake. I mean, if you had the misfortune of being born a royal blue by virtue of geography or family, in my case, it was family, then that's going to stick with you on some level, no matter what. But this season, there have been times where I have literally fallen asleep during games um, because the quality of football is so, so poor. And then when I find myself watching Champions League or Premier League games or Bayern Munich games or Dortmund games, I'm like, wow, is this is this the same sport? You know, like, are these, you know, vertical passes into the attack? Um Creativity in the final third, athleticism, uh, skills on the ball. I'm like, is this is this really football? <laughs> and um, yeah, I think. What did I think about these ninety minutes? Well, I was asleep from minute thirty until minute sixty. Um, yeah, so I, come I on, this is the middle that. of the afternoon. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> I I know, I know. This is this is how bad. Uh, how bad it is um i exactly i have no excuse because now that i'm on the east coast uh this was like an early afternoon game not a friday night game and uh yeah i mean i think we we can't be too harsh on gamatsis he had had two full training days with the team uh many of the players were in without amin arit who injured himself in the warm-up and that was really a shame because i have a feeling that gamatsis wanted to 
uh, anoint Arid as a key player. He mentioned him in some of the press conferences, said that he thinks very highly of him and wants to push him back to kind of the central midfield uh, position on the field where he has sometimes played, but usually he kind of plays more on the left uh, wing. And so, yeah, Arid was injured and he also gave Chalanulu his uh, debut. Chalanulu is incidentally the um, he comes from the Knappenschmiede, so from Schalke's academy. He also happens to be the other Chalanuglu, is the more, more famous Chalanuglu's cousin. Chalanuglu being, of course, um, a long-time Leverkusen yeah. player who's now, <laughs> yes, who's now in Serie A. So yeah, we we exactly. So there was there were some um, gutsy moves there, um, some things that were interesting. He also started with Raman, who. I think, to my surprise, has uh, not really started a lot this season. I always find that when Benito Raman starts, he adds something because he has incredible skill. Sorry, not skill. He has incredible speed. Uh, but he's also a player who, unlike, for example, Rabi Matondo, who also had that speed, makes good decisions with the ball. Um, so he, I think he had some good scenes in the first half. Um, but overall, I mean, kicker, the... Um, legendary German footballing magazine um, always gives a grade um, to every game played. I'm and looking at the, the grades grade, right now. <laughs> yep. So the grade is always on a scale of one to six. And because Germany is a confusing place, one is the best grade and six is the worst grade. And for the first time in nine years, nine years in the Bundesliga, Kicker bestowed the grade six. So the very unsatisfactory grade upon this match. And um, I was speaking to one of my friends, Marco Plein, who was my editor, my first editor in Munich, um, where I worked as a sports journalist, and he's a Mainz fan. And he was saying, thank you. Um, Schalke actually made Mainz look good. <laughs> and um, I mean, this was really like, just absolute um, agony playing against agony. Um, and I, it really hurt my eyes, I have to say. That's probably why I shut my eyes and fell asleep. Um, so that's my judgment of this Friday night game. Yep, yep. I have to say that that game didn't exactly hold my attention either. I, I found myself <laughs> doing other things while sort of keeping an eye on it. Let's let's talk for a second about uh, Gremotzis. It's very hard to say what he's going to bring, but hopefully he'll bring something. I mean, did you have any notion? I mean, Mites quite famously have, have uh, changed their coach a couple of times this season. They're now working with Bo Svensson, who seems to have really brought something new to the table. Leaving aside what we saw on Friday night, maybe thinking about what Gramatzis has done elsewhere or some of the comments he's made, you know, as you said, he, he brought up, I mean, Arit in one of his, uh, you know, press conferences. He's talked about wanting to play, um, you know, attractive football. Do you think that there's any chance that we're going to get something different from him? Or is this side, this, this squad just so limited that his options about what he can do, um, he can only do so much? I don't think the squad is limited. I mean, I maintain that on paper, this squad should come in anywhere between 8th and 12th in the Bundesliga. In a bad season, maybe 14th, but really kind of like they should be coming 11th or something like that. And of course, under Tedesco, um, it was very much the same squad, except they had uh, Leon Goretzka and Max Meyer 
who were both very essential for different reasons. Uh, under Tedesco, they overperformed because that was a season where the rest of the Bundesliga was incredibly weak and there were very few teams who liked to have the ball. Um, besides Dortmund under Bosch and Bayern Munich, uh, there was really no team that played attractive football that year and that suited Schalke. Um, but I think because of that, um, there were just years of kind of sleepwalking into a crisis. Um, and now... I mean, over the winter break, um, Mustafi, Kolasinac and Huntela were signed. And they were also the three players who, um, according to Sport 1 and Bild, um, two very well-sourced um, German papers, um, went to see Jochen Schneider when Jochen Schneider was still at Schalke and demanded the firing of Christian Groß before the Stuttgart game. And I've thought about this a lot over the past few weeks. And my initial reaction was, You've got to be kidding. Um, you know, if this squad has managed to have five coaches over 24 games, then maybe, uh, you know, look to the left and to the right and the guys around you rather than just blaming the coach. But in the end of the day, I think it also shows that they still have a bit of fire. You know, they still maybe a tiny, tiny bit believe that they can pull things around. Otherwise, they wouldn't have marched um, their butts into the office and demanded a change. And I think that's kind of what Schalke wanted in signing these players and signing a, a World Cup experienced player, well, two, well, three actually, and in signing a Schalke legend, um, Klasian Huntela, and in signing in Kolasinac, a Knappenschmiede graduate who on away days has been with the ultras <laughs> in the crowd. So there was, there was something to be said there. Um, I think that that's kind of a glass half empty, glass half full point. Uh, but Gramot says to go, to go back to your question, it's kind of a ballsy appointment in the sense that this is a guy, you know, he's 42. He's, it, it's a sign of hope. You know, he, he did well in the second Bundesliga. I think that's where he'll be next season with Schalke. And he just stands for optimism. Um, in his press conference, he talked a lot about, you know, wanting to talk to the players individually. And he complimented them and said, yeah, I don't think this is a bad team. These players want to fight. I just, yeah, I wonder, I, I wonder, of course, um, cynic, being cynical after the season, if he's perhaps um, a little too green and too inexperienced to deal with the shambles at such a large club. All right. All right. I lied. She's not in New York. She was in Vermont when we talked. Uh, so uh, all apologies for my uh, building things up in the wrong way. But lo and behold, we're here. We're back. It's part two of Talking Foosball. This is the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. Match day 24 is the one that it was, of course. And we're going to start off with the 1-0 win in Mönchengladbach for uh, Bayer Leverkusen. You know, this would usually be a lock for uh, a, a matchup of this caliber uh, being in the best half of this show. But, you know, I really just couldn't justify it. It wasn't that good of a game. And it was also a game in which both of these teams came in just kind of sucking in the last few weeks, to be fair. I think uh, the Falls were winless in four headed into this game, and Leverkusen had won just one of their last seven, something like that. 
I can't say that they played like it because, you know, there was action in this game. But the result actually, I think, spoke to where these teams are at right now. I feel like Leverkusen look like they're maybe ready to wake back up and start playing good football. There was some really nice combination play, especially in, in the buildup to, to their, their, their only goal. Whereas Gladbach still looks a little, as the Germans say, verkrampft. Yeah, Florian Neuer spoke about that after after the match and said, we've sort of lost the love of football or the joy of football, were his words, to translate them correctly. Uh, we've sort of lost the joy of football for the moment. And, you know, that in itself, when you, you know, get into training and all, everything is ashore, you don't have any fun anymore. Yeah, that is, uh, that's not a great place to be as a team. I mean, if you do work within units, may, you know, be it at your office or as a pop quiz team if you don't feel the joy or you know any sort of you know satisfaction from doing so obviously you are going to struggle a little bit more if you don't that that is a worrying sign and uh, what really this this match was about was uh, that we had two coaches here that both were in the limelight because both of them needed a result badly and uh, yeah, I, I don't have much to add to what you said about the play. I think Leverkusen was slightly better side. Got a goal ruled out for, for from VAR. Got the uh, got a little, you know got a, got a goal in the second half. Deserved to win. Uh, great little um, great fight by Jonathan Tart, the midway point there to get that ball and pass it into attack and Diaby. Great finish and uh, obviously a great save by Sommer and uh, Shake getting it into the net. But yeah, uh, for Bosch, it was a vital result, but he needs more. Uh, for Rosa, the questions about, is it a great thing that you're going to be the next Dortmund coach? And uh, <laughs> are you really 100% in this job still? As Borussia mentioned, Gladbach's coach, the, those questions are going to continue as long as he doesn't get any results. And, and that in itself is probably going to reduce the joy of football even a little bit further for those Poor, poor players at Borussia Mönchengladbach. Yeah, I mean, I guess all we can look at in terms of of joy and uh, you know how much of it there is to go around is that Gladbach's opponents uh, in the next few games are are definitely going to be of of somewhat lower caliber than than you know those they've they've played more often recently. Uh, they've got Augsburg, Schalke away, and Freiburg coming up. I don't know if you want to get your crystal ball out right now, but uh, if you want to, I would encourage it because, you know, are we going to see, I mean, I could see this going one of two ways. I mean, I could see them piling up three wins and suddenly, you know, they're back in the hunt for, for Europe and uh, people stop talking about Rosa moving on. Or, you know, if it doesn't go well, if, if they say, you know, draw at home to Augsburg and then <laughs> Uh, sorry, I, I had News that, to Schalke. Right, exactly. And actually, I had it wrong. It's two It's two road games in a row. Augsburg, if they were to get, say, one or two points out of those games against Augsburg and Schalke, you know, despite the fact that some pundits have said that, you know, if fans were in the stadium right now, they would have gotten rid of Rosa by now, I think that it's possible they might want to get rid of Rosa if they can go too many more games without any positive results because things are not working well right now. 
Yeah, I mean, the problem there is um, who do you bring in? I mean, if you want to bring in a quality coach for the next season, you're probably going to, if, if he's already on a contract, and he most likely is, no team in, in the world is going to let that coach out of a contract mid-season. So who do you turn to as, as a caretaker? Peter Noble? <laughs> I mean, he, he'd, be, he'd be definitely up for it. I mean, he... Uh, I mean, he posts something on Facebook every two hours or so. So, oh, he's on he's on Clubhouse too. He's like he's he goes on Clubhouse at, after the, uh, the 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 afternoon games finish. He turns up and talks. Yeah, yeah. with with Uwe Bahn, who, who used to be a German radio moderator, uh, uh, German radio host, who um, who had the Bundesliga show back in the day. But yeah, I mean, um, who do yet? Who do yet? I mean, yeah, but uh, I mean, for them, it's really last chance saloon because if they don't get at least seven points from those. Three matches, I think the race for Europe is pretty much done and dusted if the other teams perform ahead of them on the table. So um, in that case, it might not even be the the conference league with, you know, a trip to the Faroe Islands and stuff. (laughs) Man, you're you're talking about some exotic stuff, you know? Trips to the Faroe Islands, Moldova. I I want to travel so badly. Can you hear that? You know, I I want to explore remote places and uh not get covid yeah what's what what is what's your first destination gonna be once you uh feel like traveling again yeah i'm probably just gonna go for for a quick blast uh down to copenhagen which uh i found to be one of europe's prettiest and most exciting cities great nightlife uh great great cafes great shops pretty architecture easy going bit pricey but you know nevertheless great place to be Absolutely love that place. I think the Danish prices really phase a Norwegian, or is that just sort of like, yeah, yeah, more of the same? It, they, they do now because the Norwegian krona has gotten a lot weaker over the years. So, um, it, you know, it used to be that you could go to Dan- to Denmark and you think, oh yeah, great, uh, the beer, the you know, the Danish sausages and um, all the other sort of fatty things they serve in their kitchen, which is absolutely great. They're so cheap, but now you go down. I was like, oh, pretty much being the same as I do at home. <laughs> Dang. All right, let's think for a moment about Leverkusen. Uh, Leverkusen, you know, despite that sort of poor run that they've been on, um, things have been forgiving enough at the top of the table, or at least they had sort of built up uh, a little bit of cushion before they went on that slide. That they're only three points off of Frankfurt. The Leverkusen are now in fifth place on 40 points. Uh, Frankfurt are in fourth place on 43 points. They've got 10 games to, to haul themselves back into uh, the top four. How do you fancy their outlook? It's actually not too bad. I mean, you know, given that Frankfurt have dropped those five points from the last two matches, Bayer looking at their next three matches, which are featuring Arminia, Hertha, and Schalke, all of all three of them sides from the bottom four, and thinking, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, uh, you know, if Frankfurt drops a couple more points, we're right back in it. Right back in it. And, you know, I mean, they, they've had some difficult matches, Leverkusen, for sure. But um, this run, this run would, should really set them up with a chance to, to qualify for, you know, the Champions League. Or it should at least assure that they are in with a really good shot of getting to that Europa League finish, which sort of is a, a bare minimum, really, for them. Yep, yep. Uh, Leverkusen without uh, Europe is uh, a, a pretty tough sell when you're trying to recruit players, as I think we've we've discussed at various times. We don't have a nice city, but you know you can right live right next to the factory. They produce aspirin. 
Exactly. And, and you know, some like uh, chemical fertilizer pesticides and stuff. We just bought the most dishonest company in the world, Monsanto. You might have heard of them. Yes. Yes, they, uh, they, they, they like to soft pedal that. Okay, let, let's talk about, uh, maybe the match that, um, some pundits, intent, uh, pumped up as, as the most exciting game of the match day. Uh, it was one that, uh, because your boys were not playing uh, on Saturday, you sort of had the pick of, of what games to tune into. And it looks like Eintracht versus Falfish Stuttgart was your choice. Uh, it ended in a 1-1 draw. Which you know, these are two. These are two pretty good sides. I think that's uh, not not uh, a shocking result. Uh, Sasha Kaladzic was the first to get on the board after a little over an hour. I think that came not long after uh, Frankfurt had had a goal chopped off by VAR. Um, Luka Jovic was. This was one of the, truly one of those infuriating VAR <laughs> overturns. I mean, of course it's right, but like he was coming back to onside and the back of his heel was just marginally closer to goals, whatever. Uh, anyway, the, you know, Philip Kostic eventually did get an equalizer as, as I said, it ended one, one. You mentioned the Eagles having dropped a lot of points. You know, they lost last match day. They uh, got a draw here. You know, last week it was something of a surprise considering the, the opposition. This time, I think being at home might have given them an edge over Stuttgart, but Stuttgart are, are a side that's proven dangerous to a lot of good teams this season. Do you see them continuing to, to fall off? Well, I mean, they are coming into... Um their most demanding run of fixtures this season because, you know, the next match they are having is away against Leipzig. Then it's Union Berlin at home, who are a terribly tough side to play. It's Borussia Dortmund and then Wolfsburg. And after that, it's it's Gladbach. So the next five matches are really going to be make or break in terms of that Champions League qualification campaign for them. Because with three or four losses out of those five matches, you're not going to go anywhere, really. And, you know, with, you know, if Dortmund are on form, if Leipzig are on form, um, you would potentially, you know, chalk over those two matches and say, well, fair enough, they, they won against bigger, bigger and better funded teams. But, you know, the other three matches are pretty much um, there for the taking and they need to take them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think this is actually shaping up now that... Um some of those margins have tightened up a little bit. It definitely looks to me like Wolfsburg and Frankfurt, despite those great runs that they were on recently, uh, are, are going to have to fight a little while longer to hang on to those uh, top four spots. All right, let's move on and, and welcome Reese Tigwell back to the show. He's got uh, he's got another rescue operation coming up. Hey, Reese, good to hear you on the other end of the line again. This week we're going to be talking about. Werder Bremen and their trip to play Erste FC Köln. Just from looking at the sort of the, the run of things, you had a sort of early second half goal from Joss Sargent. You had a, a late goal from Jonas Hector and probably two teams who wished they could have gotten three points, which would have helped them a lot in the position they're in, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, by the end of it, Köln deserved to get a point, really. Um, you mentioned that late equaliser from Hector was sort of handed to him on the plate, really, after Yuri Pavlenka fumbled the ball and it landed in the path of Hector. And Hector just, just taps it in. You know, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, Jonas Hector. I mean, I think we all know the sort of broad contours of him, that he's sort of, 
you know, a, a famously one club guy with, with, uh, Cologne stuck with him when they've gone down at various periods in time and has had his, his time in the, you know, the German national team. What lies ahead for Jonas Hector at this point? I think what lies ahead is, is he will continue to be a one club man. Of course, he's, his rise is all the, the more remarkable, really, given that until the age of 20, um, he was playing in the fifth tier of German football. He even turned down the chance to play for Saarbrück and Youth Academy. Um, in, in his words, he said, you know, he just wanted to continue playing with his friends in the fifth tier. Um, but he's been a really consistent and reliable performer for Köln. And they don't, they don't have many of those. And I myself am quite surprised he has never moved on and he, he hasn't been short of, of options to do so. But he, he said before, you know, why would I want to leave Köln when, when I've got everything I want here? And I think that really is admirable in the modern age um, of football, really. Uh, I noticed that he did not start this game. And, um, you know, there have been, I don't know, I guess there's been some periods this season, especially where he has battled injury. Is he as central to this side now as he has been in, in, in past years? Or is, you know, I mean, I guess he's 30 years old now, which means that, um, you know, he is on the back side of his career. But the youth movement that's been going on in Cologne uh, the last couple of seasons, does that have any um, threat to sort of marginalize him, you think? You're right to say, I think, of course, he's not getting any younger at 30, but I think he is still crucial to his side. And at times, I think they have definitely missed him this season. Um, and they'll be more than looking forward to welcoming him back in the side because, as you mentioned, the side is so young. So they've got very few experienced heads. I mean, they've got Timo Horn, uh, the captain, of course. But um, uh, aside from him and, and Hector, really, the squad is, is very young. So having a player like that will give them a boost in the latter stages of the season. Uh, speaking of young players, a guy who is still younger, maybe, than, than we all think uh, of, of him. Uh, Max Meyer, who finally made his, his first Bundesliga start for Cologne after uh, coming over from Crystal Palace uh, in, in the winter window. How do he look to you? Is he somebody who is likely to sort of become something like the old Max Meyer we once knew uh, at FC? Hopefully. Um, he, he's definitely had a, a curious career, of course, that most people know that he burst onto the scene at 17 for Schalke when Lewis Holtby left for Spurs. Um, and he, of course, he was one of the brightest prospects in German football and was linked with an, a number of Europe's biggest clubs on a number of occasions. But then his performances seemed to dry up and in his last season at the club, um, Tedesco played him at defensive midfield, which was not a position he was used to. And of course, then he goes on Crystal Palace, um, who he joined for free. But he, he barely had a chance there. Um, Roy Hodgson really only ever used him from the bench, which I myself was quite surprised about. But I think Cohen will be a good a good club for him to try and recoup where he once was. And I think that um, perhaps he can achieve those heights once more. Yeah, yeah. I I think I was not the only one who had really high hopes for him. I mean, he he was famously the star of a a Nissan commercial back when he was about you know seventeen, eighteen years old. Him him and Yaya Toure, you know, taking taking shots on goal. Uh, and and of course he had a very famous sort of you know him and 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 Leroy Sané uh, were coming up at relatively similar times as young. Knappenschmiede grads. And I think 
he's one of those guys, I think you mentioned <laughs> Lewis Holtby's another good example, to tell the truth, of players who just never quite turned out after really looking very good their first couple of seasons in the Bundesliga. I think that this could be a really nice home for him, considering that Cologne – I'm just going to be as polite about this as I can. Um, they are often short on, um, you know, creativity. So anybody who's ever shown any, any signs of that, uh, in, in the past, I think is likely to be a good addition for them. I'm hoping that this is the first of many starts. Yeah, me too. And I think as well, as you mentioned, because they've got, they lack creative, uh, creativity. I think he will get the chance in the side especially in, in the struggling side, which, which chop and changes quite regularly. So if he, if he does get that string of starts and get some performances and games under his belt, then I, I really think this could be a good move for him. Well, I mean, I guess the way you really make that a realistic move in the long term, first and foremost, is to stay in the Asta Bundesliga. Cologne, you know, things are still pretty dicey for them. They are above, uh, you know, the waterline, let's just say, but uh, not by much. How do you rate their chances and how do you rate uh, Werder Bremen's chances? I mean, Werder, they, they're looking almost home and dry. Yeah, Cologne, it's, it's going to go to the wire, I think, with them. I think they will have enough to stay in the division. Um, of course, they haven't been helped by the fact that their fans, more than more than most German clubs, really uh, sort of really get behind them, and uh, I think they've really missed them. But I think I think Köln will be okay, and Werder. I think after that, another point yesterday. I think they will be safe come the campaign at the end of the campaign too. I'm confident that there are three teams that that worse than they. Of course, I think they'd need a couple more points, but I'm sure they will pick those up along the way. Um, the board, of course, have stayed loyal to, to Kofeld. It's paid off, really. This improvement on last season's relegation playoff, whereby Heidenheim really run them close. And, of course, Werder go to Armenia on Wednesday, which is a huge game, uh, but also a fantastic chance to get a positive result against the side desperately fighting for their lives. And after Armenia... They've got a horrible run coming up, so they really do need to try and get something positive. Because their next five games after Armenia, um, they've got to play Bayern, Wolfsburg, Stuttgart, Leipzig, and Dortmund. So Wednesday's a really big, big game for them. Wow. As if we didn't think so already. <laughs> Reese Stigwell, thanks for uh, priming us not only uh, for the future, but also rescuing this game from oblivion. Thank you. All right, uh, Nick. Were, did, were you able to to rescue those uh, those two hours from your life, or, or are you still sort of uh, you know waiting for the waiting for the uh, the change from from the till? <laughs> I'm waiting for that basement and cologne to you know give that foul on Pavlenka. Ah, okay. okay. I'm still waiting for that. But you know, all, all joking aside, I don't. I don't. I you know, even though Fodorovic player thought that was a foul, I I uh, I actually don't think. It's not. I mean, it's outside of the out of that outside of that five yard box, and he goes up for it, and you know, um, he goes up for a header, and Pavlenka is clumsy. But yeah, it was uh, it was not a brilliant match, but uh, Joss Sargent being able to score against other sides than Hertha and uh, Eintracht Frankfurt was refreshing. I have to say. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think things are, are headed in a promising direction for him. All right, we've got one more game to talk about, and uh, by talk about, I mean 
just briefly mention, uh, it was Armenia Bielefeld, uh, of course, Werder Bremen's opponents uh, on, on Wednesday in that uh, makeup game. They were at home to Union Berlin. Uh, they, of course, had a new coach in Christoph Kramer. They didn't score, but luckily for them, uh, Union didn't score either. Talk about it if you'd like. I think I'm just going to you know, sum it up with the tweet that the Union official Union account, English language... Shout out to Ross Dunbar. Uh, ...had uh, asking during the halftime interval um, if there was going to be any football in the second half. <laughs> I think Ross, spot on. Yep, yep. Maybe may may brighter days be ahead uh, for both of these sides than than the game that was just played this weekend. All right, that is it for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. And uh, good to have you again by my side, Nick. Yeah, was was great to be back, and yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to next week already. Excellent. Well, if you can't wait until next week to hear more from Nick Vildhagen, and then who could blame you? You can always uh, hit him up on Twitter at Normusings or listen to his dulcet tones on any one of the many, many historic match day moments uh, bonus podcasts, which are available on our Patreon page. There's uh, deep dives on specific teams, including one by you know our, our previous guest in this uh, show, Marie Schulterbockham on Schalke. Lots and lots of extra content for just a little bit of money a month. You'll be surprised and how cheap it is. Uh, if you want to contact us after you've you know signed up for our Patreon, at Talking Foosball is a way to do that. If you want to do that with me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. You know, subscribe, rate, talk us up to your friends. Just uh, make it all happen. This is some next demo, y'all. <laughs>